First John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Today we're going to continue our unhealthy hashtags series. And as a part of that, um, we're going to be talking about, uh, about a topic that, that is addressed here in 1 John. Let's just read it. This is what it says in the NIV. In fact, it has a header that says, Light and darkness, sin and forgiveness. Light and darkness, sin and forgiveness. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Watch what happens. We have fellowship with one another. That's important. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. See how those two go together? It's so important. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Man, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for that. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I'm thankful that I get to have fellowship with you and forgiveness of sins. And that is the topic during this mental health series that I'm gonna be talking about today, forgiveness, forgiveness. Let's pray together. God, I know that you wanna do something in this room. I feel, God, your presence. I feel, God, that that Lord, not to be hyperbolic or exaggerate, that this just might be the most important message that I've preached in quite a while. Because Lord, it is so, so vital that we learn to forgive God, those who have trespassed against us. Because God, you have given us so much grace. And we must reciprocate that as children of God. And Lord, in this room right now, God, you're going to touch somebody's heart. You're going to go ahead and begin a journey within them that God may be a difficult road at times, but God, it's going to be rewarding. It's going to be anointed, and you're going to meet them where they're at. And so today, God, I pray, be with us in this room. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. I feel the Holy Ghost here. You can be seated. Today, we're jumping into one of the most difficult topics that anyone could choose to preach about. As I've said, it is the topic of forgiveness. And can I just tell you, all I've got to say is, wow. Even with the voice cracked, it was the perfect time to say, wow. Because when you look at social media, you will find that there are tons and tons and tons of horrible advice on this one. Forgiveness is not, not addressed very well when it comes to the social aspect, especially in the form of unhealthy hashtags. So I'm about to reveal to you today the unhealthy hashtag that we will be tackling together. You ready for it? Okay. <laughs> Somebody's like, Somebody already getting convicted up in here. All I had to do was say the word forgiveness, and it just got quiet. I said, are you ready for it? Yes. Here it is. Hashtag, let them go. That, my friends, is an unhealthy hashtag right there. 
Other relatable hashtags might include but are not limited to hashtag cut them off. Hashtag walk away. Hashtag move on, girl. Sorry, y'all know I got to add girl to at least one of them. Hashtag not your friends. Hashtag, and this is the one that had millions, millions. The other ones had hundreds of thousands, but this one took the cake. Exponentially more hashtags was this next one. Are you ready? Hashtag fake friends. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's all over social media. You can see and you can, you can smell the bitterness before you even log in. Here's the problem with these hashtags, though. I'm going to be straight with you today. Real friends come with baggage and real hurt. Any meaningful, long-lasting connection will have an associated, unavoidable pain with it. In fact, in Zechariah, it is prophesied of Jesus. This is what it says. That Jesus would show the people his scars. And when they would look at the scars and ask, where did you get these? You know what he would say? In the house of my friends. Where did you get the scars? On your hands. Where was it that you were marred to a point where you were literally unrecognizable? I got these scars and these wounds in the house of my friends. Here's the issue. Last week was Friends Day. <laughs> and last week I told you, you need friends. And I told you that you can't make it without others. And now this week, I'm telling you, the ones that I told you to connect with last week are the ones that are going to wound you tomorrow. This is a bad place to be, isn't it? Here's the thing. Jesus said, offenses will come. Offenses will come. It's inevitable. It's impossible to avoid. Jesus made it clear that it's going to happen to everyone. It's an inevitability. You have to be ready for it. You will be offended. You will be hurt. You will be put in a place where you are absolutely done wrong. And then sometimes you'll even be put in a place where you weren't done wrong, but you felt like you were done wrong. You know, a phobia uh, is this by definition. It's an irrational fear of something. Some of the most bizarre phobias exist. Have you ever actually just researched phobias or Googled them or come across some sort of trash Facebook article that popped up in the sponsored place? You know, it's like top 10 phobias. You're like, I don't want to click it, but I got to click it. Some of the funniest phobias exist. There's a phobia. It's called, and I'm going to probably get some of these wrong in, in how I pronounce them, but it's called chorophobia. It's the fear of dancing. And if you had seen me dance, you would actually have a phobia of seeing me dance again. And that would be a phobia on its own. There's, I'm going to try, geliophobia, which is the fear of laughter. Some of you guys have that. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's okay to smile in church. It's good. And I know I'm going to mispronounce this. It's deipnophobia. You ready? The fear of dinner conversations. That one I can relate to. I'm like, I get that, man. Like, I get that every time I'm about to go out. And then I know I'm going to miss this one. This one's called syngenosophobia, the fear of relatives. And aren't you think, like, did you see, like, the, the last two go together? 
It's like, I, I have a phobia of dinner conversations, and now it's going to be with family? This is horrible. These are actual phobias. And, and here's the thing about a phobia. The reason we find them funny and we laugh is because we know that they're irrational and that they virtually have a 0% chance of actually harming us the way that we're afraid of them. Okay, the, They're not inevitable. They're actually incredibly avoidable. And they don't really have associated pain, but our mind has fallen into such a place that we blow it out of proportion. But here's what I'm telling you today. The fear of offense is not a phobia. It's not irrational. It's completely the opposite. It is unavoidable. And so if you are afraid of being offended, I'm here to tell you that you have a 100% chance of somebody doing you wrong. If you were to walk up, I was thinking about this, if I was to walk up to a roller coaster and on the sign before I got on the roller coaster, it said you have a 100% chance of injury on this ride. You know what I would do? Somebody said ride it. God bless you. No, I would go in the opposite direction because now I know I'm not going to get on a ride that's going to cause me 100% chance of pain and hurt. The ride of life, friendship, relationship, has a 100% chance of pain and hurt. But you have to choose to get on anyway. You have to make a decision that it's worth riding because there's more reward then there is pain. It outweighs it. It's not that there's not pain, but the reward of being in relationship and friendship actually makes it worth it. Because we understand that Satan uses offense in relationship as a bait to kill us and to destroy us. And that unforgiveness is such a painful, painful thing. But today I'm here to tell you that we have been given a promise from the word of God of how we can deal with offense. Christ's remedy to being offended is forgiveness. And I know you thought it was going to be more complex than that. But here's what I know about this message today is that it's incredibly relevant for me to talk about forgiveness. Because the fact of the matter is, stick with me, if I said to you, Hey, if you don't need this message on forgiveness today because you've forgiven everybody, 99 out of the 100 people in here would get up and walk away if given permission. And I would be left with one honest person or a person that fell asleep. But the fact of the matter is it's actually the opposite. Because 99 out of 100 people do need this message. They just don't realize how badly they need it. And so half the battle of preaching a message about forgiveness is actually getting not a cultural context, not an unhealthy hashtag context of forgiveness, but getting a biblical context of forgiveness and then dealing with the sin issue that is in, in everyone's heart that is sitting here today. And so I realize that, yes, I have my work cut out for me. But here's what I believe. I believe that when we get into the Word of God, things begin to change. And so today, all of that being said, there's a chance that someone might ask, what does forgiveness have to do with mental health? 
You, you said you were having a mental health series, and I'm with you, Pastor. We're going deep today, and it's going to be a tough topic. Check this out. At first glance, forgiveness might not seem like it has that much to do with mental health, and it's just this thing that Jesus talked about in the Bible, so it's specifically a Christian thing. But watch this. Research has shown us that this could not be further from the truth. It's not just a Christian concept. People who harbor unforgiveness, according to Johns Hopkins Medical Institute, it says this. Whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or a long-term held resentment toward a family member or a friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news is this. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards on your physical health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, and even your sleep. It can reduce pain, it can reduce blood pressure, and it can uh, reduce levels of anxiety in a major, major way. Research also points to an increase in forgiveness health as a connection to how long you will live. Let's keep going. Research shows the opposite is true as well. You knew I was going to hit you with the opposite. Failing to forgive, harboring resentment can lead to unproductive outcomes such as increased anxiety, depression, elevated blood pressure, vascular resistance, decreased immune response, and worse outcomes in coronary artery, artery disease. Practicing forgiveness enables the transgressed individual to reduce their engagement in rumination, which is going back over and over on the same thoughts, and thus reduces the experience of anger, resentment, and hate. Don't tell me forgiveness isn't a mental health issue. Because you may be depressed or you may be experiencing major levels of anxiety today and you've been trying to find the source of where that is coming from and I'm here to tell you that in a major, major way, unforgiveness could be playing a part in that. It's one of the reasons that Paul addressed anger in Ephesians 4 and 26 when he said, be angry and sin not. I love that verse, don't y'all? That's like everybody's, every time you get mad, that's your favorite verse. You're like, bro, I'm about to be angry and sin not. Get over here, boy. It's like, but you didn't read the rest of that, okay? And let not the sun go down, okay, <laughs> upon thy wrath. Let not the sun go down upon thy wrath. You want to know how you can be angry and sin not? You don't harbor anger. You deal with anger. Because the issue is we think that we can harbor anger and not be in sin. But when you allow anger to ruminate and fester and to stay in your heart, what ends up happening is it turns into resentment, which is long-term unforgiveness, which will lead you to a life of frustration. Check this out. I've been doing a lot of study this week on unforgiveness. And what I found is this, is that forgiveness is actually considered a moral virtue. What does that mean? Forgiveness is something that we do that defines us in our identity in regard to our values, who we are. Whether or not you choose to forgive plays a major role in how you see yourself. And so what research has shown us is this, watch this, that people that refuse to forgive and harbor bitterness and anger end up suffering lower self-esteem. Because the paradox of forgiveness is this, is that when you forgive somebody who has done wrong to you, you are returning good for their evil. But watch, 
When you don't forgive them, you actually lower yourself to their level and you return bad for bad, evil for evil, anger for anger. And what that does is that actually puts you on the person, the perpetrator's level. And so then when you go to look at yourself, you start identifying with your perpetrator more. You start realizing what I am doing looks more like them than who I want to be. And so your self-esteem suffers. However, the opposite is also true. Because forgiveness is a moral virtue. When you make a decision to give somebody something that you don't feel like they necessarily deserve. Yes, you did me wrong, but I'm going to do right toward you. What ends up happening is self-esteem is built within the psyche of that individual. Because they actually begin to believe better things about themselves. I'm the type of person that can forgive. I'm the type of person that can let go when somebody has done wrong to me. The hashtag is this. Hashtag let them go. Hear me today. I want you to listen to this. Don't let them go. Let it go. That's going to be the greatest challenge for you. Don't let them go. Let it go. Whatever they did to you. Have this sense somehow within you. I'm encouraging someone. I know it's difficult. But can you separate their action from their identity? Can you look at them and can you level and begin to say, Okay, I'm not going to hashtag let them go. But I am going to make a decision to do something that will actually end up building my self-esteem. My spiritual regard for myself. And I'm going to let it go today. Mm. Nelson Mandela said this, resentment is like drinking a poison and hoping it will kill your enemy. Drinking a poison and hoping it will kill your enemy. Dr. Robert Enright of the University of Wisconsin-Madison is the foremost academic authority on the topic of forgiveness. His origin story is amazing. I was listening to him. He said in 1985, and I'm about to ruffle some feathers. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. Look at your other neighbor and say, buckle up. Okay, go ahead, put that spiritual seatbelt on. Because here's the thing about Dr. Enright. A lot of academia does not like him because the first 10 years of his, uh, of his scholarly endeavors, he, he only focused on the topic of justice. Okay, justice. Now, have you guys heard the word justice anytime recently? <laughs> That's sarcasm. That's why your feathers are going to get ruffled. All right. Stick to your notes. But after focusing 10 years on the topic of justice and how it was impacting the community, he said, I woke up one day and I asked myself a dangerous question. Who is my research actually helping? And he said, I could answer honestly, no one. Because how we see justice doesn't actually change whether or not we have internal impact. Just knowing that somebody has done us wrong isn't enough to heal us. And so he said, I did something dangerous. And all of my friends in academia said, you're crazy. He said, I started dedicating my research to a topic that was completely void in academics. And that was the topic of forgiveness. And for almost 40 years, what Dr. Enright has found is that forgiveness actually has the ability to help people, to change people. 
He came up with what is called a process model. And in this process model, what he does is he'll take people through counseling. And it's a four-step model that helps them begin to work through the unforgiveness and the bitterness that is in their hearts. And you should hear him talk. If you, if you get a chance to Google him or listen to a podcast, he said, over the last 40 years or so, I have worked with so many individuals that walk in and say, I'll never be able to let go. He said, but once we begin to walk through all of the steps and talk to them about what forgiveness really is and why it's important, important. He said, I've never had anybody one time deny me. He said, because this is what we do. He said, we offer forgiveness as if it's a lifeline. And he said, when people start to realize that they're drowning and that forgiveness is the only lifeline to get back to where they need to be, he said, they realize that forgiveness is not about the perpetrator. It's about the one who's been done wrong. Because they've been behaving in a way in their unforgiveness that has not been serving their lives. They've been frustrated. They've been angry. They have been, they've lacked joy. And when they realize that they are not serving, it's like Nelson Mandela said, they are drinking a poison that has nothing to do with their perpetrator and is not impacting them in any way. They realize forgiveness is my way out of this resentment and this frustration and this pain. And today I'm here to tell you that those words are ancient words. Dr. Enright was not the one who figured that out, but Jesus understood that if people are going to be free, they're going to have to move beyond an eye for an eye type of mentality. And they are going to have to forgive those that have trespassed against them because they realize that they're living a life of grace. They're living a life as somebody who is a recipient of mercy. Mercy that they don't deserve. And so what I found so amazing, he said, this is how we level with people. He said, the first thing we do is he said, we ask them to picture the person that did them wrong. Everybody's still listening, okay? This is important. We're about to go deep here, and I realize that. I'm laying a foundation, but I'm asking you to lean in right now and listen. He said, the first thing we do is he said, we ask them to imagine their perpetrator. Their perpetrator, the person that did them wrong, the person that, that trespassed against them. And he said, this is what we challenge them to do. Look at their humanity. Can you see them as a person? Can you see them as an individual? Can you see them as a person that not only hurts, but as a person who has been hurt? Could you do that for a moment with me? Could you take a moment and could you think about someone who has done you wrong? I mean it. Could you think about the person that's already popped into your mind five or ten times since you've been sitting here? And could you begin to put them on a human level? And could you begin to think of them not just as a person who hurts, as if that's their only identity, someone who hurts, but could you for a moment begin to muster any compassion and realize that the only reason that that person hurt me is because someone hurt them. One of the most powerful stories that I've ever heard is from an incredibly, amazingly gifted pastor, friend of mine, who is just amazing in all that he does. It's unbelievable how much talent and just charisma and, and th that this man has. And he said to me, he said, Devin, I've not always been that way. He said, in fact, I found myself running from the will of God. He said, I was so angry at God. He said, I joined the military. I had done drugs. I overdosed, had all these things going in my life. And he said, what nobody knew is that I had been abused. I'd been molested as a child in my own bedroom. 
by a family member, by a relative that was supposed to be safe. And I didn't tell anybody in my family because I knew it would devastate my family. And he said, from the time that I was a young teenager, I was dealing with being victimized and broken. And he said, I got through all those years of, of, of doing the drugs, of, of joining the military and his ministry. He said, I came back to God. I got my ministry right. I'm talking to somebody right now. He said, I ended up being at the peak of my ministerial popularity. I was traveling more than I had ever traveled. I was doing events. And he said, but when I'd wake up in the morning on Monday at my home or whenever it was, he said, I'd open my Bible and he said, I'd be depressed. I had everything that from the outside that everybody said that's how a ministry should look. He's, he's loved, he's liked all the people. He has all of the accolades that you could imagine. And he said, I was depressed. And he said, as I opened my Bible one day during devotion, depressed and broken, I heard God say, you have to let it go. And he said, I prayed and I knew in my spirit, God was saying, let that event go, forgive him. He said, out loud, I told God, anything but that. Anything but that. I'm not, I can't, I can't let it go. He said, anything but that. He said, but God kept working on me. He said, I went out. What, he said, what happened was that relative ended up dying. A tragic death because of the type of life that he lived. He said, what nobody knew is, is everybody else was crying because he died. He said, I was crying because I wasn't the one who killed him. He said, that's how bitter I was. And he said, so for years I had buried this and I was in my ministry and I was in church and everybody was patting me on the back. But the fact of the matter was I was depressed. I was angry because I couldn't let go. And he said, God led me to that man's graveside. And he said, I stood at his grave plot there and I looked at his tombstone. And he said, out loud, he said, I'm forgiving you. And he said, I said to him, because I know the only reason you hurt me is because somebody hurt you. And it ends right here, right now. And he said, Devin, I'm not kidding you. He said, the depression lifted off of me. He said, I'd been dealing with it for years, and it lifted off of me. He said, I felt it re-released just like that. I'm telling you right now, you can come to church. You can go through the motions. You can be liked. You can be popular. But if you are harboring unforgiveness and you cannot see the humanity in the one that hurt you, you are going to be stuck. You're going to be in a place where you need to break out. And today I'm here to tell you, God is giving you a lifeline. And he's saying, hey, the lifeline is forgiveness. The lifeline is you can let go on a Sunday afternoon at Stello Church. The lifeline is you can look and believe it or not, you can begin to find compassion for the people that hurt you the most. I wonder if right now every head could be bowed, every eye could be closed, and if you could just begin to pray with me all over this room. God, right now you're doing something. You're wanting to heal somebody's life. You're wanting to restore them and touch them. And so God, I ask ask you right now in the name of Jesus that there would be something that would move into this room because God we're going to be a healthy church. This God, this, this series, God, is all about restoring the health of your people, the mental health of your people. But God, a healthy mind is a holy mind. And I pray right now, God, that there would be a sanctification that would take place in this room right now. I pray that somebody would be willing to look at something that they've been ignoring for a while, God, and say, Lord, today I'm going to start the journey in the name of Jesus. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. For the remainder of this sermon, I won't be much longer, but I want you to hear me. For the remainder of this sermon, 
the way I'm going to pose this is I'm going to talk about this. Myths about forgiveness. Because I think the issue is we oftentimes, if I ended my sermon right there, which let's be honest, can we be honest? That wouldn't have been a bad place to end. Some of y'all actually got super excited back there. You're like, bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's do this thing. Like, I'm about to eat dinner early. No, 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 no. You don't get off the hook that easy. Because here's what we need to know. We actually have to know what forgiveness is. And one of the best ways to know what it is is to talk about what is not. And that's what this is, an unhealthy hashtag. Let's come against that right now. So let's jump in. Let me tell you, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first thing forgiveness is not, a myth about forgiveness. Forgiving, here's one myth, you ready? Forgiving somehow minimizes or diminishes the impact of what someone has done to us. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean it minimizes what they did to you. Amen, somebody? I can forgive you and still have to face the same repercussions. Is Jordan, is JP in here? Not, not, that's what I'm calling. Where's JP at? Come on, JP. I need you to run up here, brother. I love this. He's the only one I could do this to because I love him. Oh, the in-ears. There he's, he's got a leash. So this is, this is, by the way, we have too many Jordans in our church. Too many. Watch this. This is no lie, and I want you to be serious. If your name is Jordan, raise your hand right now. I told y'all. He's JP now. So if you hear me call him JP, he's never called him JP before. That's because we are only winning Jordans to God right now. <laughs> Actually, Jordan, or JP, Jordan, I know you love that cup. That's your favorite cup. In fact, you love the water. Sometimes you'll hold it with one hand like this. It's like really cool. You didn't see that coming, did you? I'm a jerk. I planned that. I had that planned. I've been waiting for that since last Sunday. This doesn't even have, this has no illustration to it. I just wanted to do that to, to JP. No, no, no. Listen, check this out. I've now, I've, I've, I've committed an offense against him. We're talking about how forgiveness does not diminish what I've done. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Here's your cup back. But here's the thing, you can never get that back. It's been spilled. It's been done. I can't lap it back up. I can't fix it. I can go get you different water, but it's not the same. This, this is what, this was his. I can apologize, but I can never, ever get that back. Thank you, JP. Appreciate that. And here's what happens is some of you have had this knocked out of your hand. And what happens is once it's been emptied out, you know what ends up happening? We start drawing in. Nobody's ever going to do that to me again because that hurt. That was painful. And now I've got like a trauma response anytime somebody says that they love me or, or wants to be close to me. And so, yes, there's some people that are wanting to pour back into your life and wanting to fill that cup back up. There's some people that have father wounds, and anybody that looks like a father in their life, they reject them. That's why they can't have a pastor. I'm not saying I'm your dad or I'm your father. What I'm saying is anybody that looks like an authority figure, let's go beyond your pastor. That's why they have a problem with their relationship with God. Because now their heavenly father is seen through what happened to them. And there's something that's been spilled out. And can I tell you, what needs to happen in your life is you need to realize that, yes, you have been hurt and and even if that person 
forgives. You forgive them. And, and there's reconciliation that takes place. You'll never get that back. Hear me right now. One of the worst, the, the greatest lessons, we'll, we'll make it positive, that I learned in my first year of marriage is that I can always apologize for things that I say, but I could never unsay them. You can always apologize for what you do, but you cannot undo it. Okay? So there are things I look back on, and I think that 22-year-old, I don't like to say idiot, Devin, treat her better. That's what, that's what the 30-something version of yourself will say to you. Thank God that's a part of growth, right? So I, I give myself some room to grow and, and to do better. But I look back, and that's one of the most valuable lessons I learned in my marriage. Now, that's a small example because there was not verbal abuse or physical abuse, but some of you have been actually abused and hurt. And, and the, the, the thing that was done to you is so much that you want to just draw back in. And you say, I can't, I can't ever, I'm never going to let. And the problem is now your cup is empty. And it's dry. And your relationships, they're not vibrant. The people in your life don't know why there's always a wall with you. And what God is saying is he's saying, I know you've been hurt, but you have to forgive. Because the forgiveness that you give is going to be the lifeline that causes me to be able to fill that cup up again. And I'm going to fill it with good relationships. I'm going to fill it with people that end up serving you. And guess what? There's going to be times where it gets knocked back out of your hand again. But when you can learn to forgive once, I believe that you can do it again and again. I know it doesn't diminish what you've been through. There's spilled water. There's, there's, for some of you, it feels like spilled blood on the ground. You've been through some things. But listen to me right now. That does not give us a justification to withdraw ourselves and miss out on this beautiful thing that God calls one another. One another. And so I'm pleading with somebody to forgive today. Here's the second thing. The second myth. Forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. It's a myth. That's not true. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Reconciliation is not a moral virtue. Reconciliation, what do I mean by that? Forgiveness, as I said before, is something that defines your morality and who you are. But reconciliation takes two. In fact, can I just tell you, I want to make it very clear what I'm not saying today. Forgiveness is not you allowing people back into your life without boundaries. That is, that is unwise. I am not telling you just because, well, they abused you, they hurt you, but forgiveness is you allow them to be around your family and your kids. No, sir, you better put some good, strong boundaries in your life, okay? I want to make that very, very clear today because forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. There may be some people that you forgive, but what reconciliation looks like is you doing the one phone call to the prison cell that they're in every once in a while because that's what you need. It may be that you never see each other again. It may be, and, and listen, I realize that there's a lot of situations that the people in this church, you're navigating right now. It's not just one or two. There's several of you. There's some of you that have shared custody over your children. There's some of you that have people that have abused you in your family in, in major, major ways. And you have to go and see them at family reunions. Do not mistake what I'm saying for you just need to be willing to sit in the middle of that. That's not what I'm saying. You need to draw strong boundaries because forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. But listen to me. Forgiveness, the goal of forgiveness is always reconciliation. At least in some way. What does that mean? Because I can tell that one hit hard, right? Like, I don't know about that. Forgiveness without the idea or, or the hope of reconciliation is not forgiveness. Again, 
That reconciliation, though, may be reconciliation with major boundaries. I don't have to talk to you all the time. We don't necessarily have to see each other all the time. If you're in that space, I sure am not coming to that space. And you're only going to have this limited relationship with my children because I'm not sure that I can trust you in this area. That's a hard line to delineate. And I could actually preach a whole sermon or teach a lesson just on that because it's difficult. But here's what I know. If you'll come into the relationship with the idea to forgive and give somebody what they don't deserve, God will give you the discernment to set the right boundaries. And with God's voice and spirit leading you and guiding you, and hopefully with the counsel of one another, you're going to be able to work through those things. So that's the second myth. Here's the third myth. You ready? Forgiveness is the abandonment of justice. No, it's not. No, it's not. Forgiveness is not the abandonment of justice. Romans 12 and 18 says this, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> that, that took a quick turn, somebody. Is like that, that's, that took a quick turn. So God says they're going to get what they deserve. But you know, if you've forgiven them, check this out. One of the litmus tests for forgiveness is this, that you actually grieve when you find out they're getting what they deserve. It hurts you. It pains you. It's something that's hard for you to sit with. I remember, I remember we were teaching kids class, and I'm almost finished, I promise you. We were teaching kids class one day, and as I was teaching kids class, by the way, if you want to learn how to preach, teach a kids class. They're the toughest crowd in the entire world. And we did this illustration, and the illustration, it was, it was talking about uh, the place in the scripture where the Bible says that, that they brought this woman who was caught in the midst of adultery to Jesus, and you guys remember the story. The Bible says that they looked at Jesus, and they said, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus looked back, and he said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Mic drop moment. The Bible says, starting with the oldest all the way to the youngest, they walked away until it was just him and her. And all the stones that they were going to throw were now on the ground instead of being thrown at her. I'm teaching this lesson to kids, y'all. I'm not talking about adultery, though, just so you know. It was, it was age appropriate. And what we did is we had every kid in there write down on a piece of paper what, something that they had done wrong. So for a kid, you know what that is? For some of those kids, you open up, you're like, my God. It's like, we need to call somebody. It's like, I like kept my kid, I'm like, scoot over just a little bit, you know, like, boundaries. So they had that in their hand, this thing that they had done wrong, and then we said, all right, here's what we want you to do. We want you to wad that up, and we're going to bring a kid, and we put goggles on him right to the middle. And we said, now we want you to throw that thing at him. And these kids are like, ah! this was the greatest illustration ever for these kids. They are, and you know what we did? After it was wadded up and they had stoned this person to death, we said, now go pick up your piece of paper. And you know what? They couldn't tell the difference in their wadded up piece of paper and anybody else's. Because there's no distinguishable difference and what you did wrong, and what they did wrong. All you've done is weaponize 
what you did wrong and point it towards somebody else. And I remember we, we did it again. We did another round. If you guys have ever met Dylan Turner, sometimes he comes to church here. Dylan was about this big at that time. Now he's about this big. <laughs> and Dylan, right in the middle of, of us talking about this, Dylan, it was, I think it was me and Nishan or, or somebody was teaching this kid's class years ago. And, and Dylan just winds up to throw it when we're not supposed to throw it. And, and as a good teacher does, I go, put the rock down, Dylan. I kid you not. Dylan, feeling the weight of the moment, Dylan goes, oh. And he drops that piece of paper. It was the most dramatic moment in kids' class I have ever seen. Some of you need to be like Dylan. And you need to fall on your knees today and you need to drop that rock in your hand. Because vengeance is not yours, it is the Lord's. Trust me, by the time you weaponize what's been done to you onto somebody else, what's going to happen is you're going to realize that your offense is indistinguishable from even theirs. Because all you've done is you have now made yourself a part of something that God says it's not yours to take care of. I will take care of it. I'm praying, though, that that person that did me wrong won't have to take the full wrath of the vengeance of God. Because I don't want anybody to end up losing out. Because I'm telling you, here's what I know. The only reason that I have forgiveness and that I have been saved is because God has given me so much grace and so much mercy. And so whatever it is that you are walking in with today, may I remind you, yes, you've been done wrong, but I, I'm just going to say it like it is. You've also done others wrong. You're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And God knows that. And that's why the Bible says that in that moment, the scripture says that from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. Because if you've lived long enough, here's what you're going to find out. The longer you live, the more you rack up problems and pain and issues and struggles. The longer you live, the longer you have the opportunity to do people wrong. And so the people that had lived the longest said, hey, I know what this man's saying right now. And I'm thinking about my life and what I realize is that I've had my issues and I've had my problems and I've had my pain. And the last thing that I'm going to do, the last thing that I am going to do is end up weaponizing this right now because God has forgiven me of so much. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody right now. Would you stand to your feet? Throw that picture up on the screen if you would, the one that I sent you. Anybody know? Or has anybody ever seen this picture? Back in 2007, this was a scene in Iran. What happened in Iran was this man right here in a street brawl stabbed and killed that woman's son. And what's so interesting about this story is that the day that this man was supposed to be hanged for what he had done... The story is this, and as you all know and, and can probably just gather from this in Iran, it is still an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And this woman had in her hands the power to let it go. And on the last day, in the last moments, this woman walked up when it was about to be the death sentence. And the story is that she slapped him in the face. And she began to weep. And she said, let him go. And they took that noose from his neck. And he walked away free that day. And they asked her, why would you do something like this? Why would you be willing to let this go? 
And this woman, who is not a Christian, she said, all, weeks, all week I've been having dreams. And God's telling me to let this man live. And the first time I had the dream, I denied it. She said, but he keeps on telling me to let this man live. And she said, as hard as it was today, I knew I had to let him live. Which is the last point that I'll make. And here's a myth. Forgiveness is optional. It's not. Matthew 6 and 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the glory forever. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Christ exemplified this because what we see is that in the midst of the most painful, most incorrect, unjust thing that could happen, Jesus on the cross, he lifts up his voice in Luke and he says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a powerful sentence. Hear me right now. Those were the words that Jesus spoke in his most difficult, most betrayed moment. He literally asked God on our behalf, do not charge them. Do not lay this upon them. Essentially what he said was, Father, as bad as it is, I don't want to let them go. As bad as what they've done is, I don't want to let them go. Jesus said, I'm willing to let it go, but I'm not willing to let them go. I'm willing to forgive them of what they've done, but I don't want to be separated from who they are because I, I want to be with them. I want to be close to them. That's why the Bible says that all of this, this cross, this scripture that you read, you know what it comes down to in one word? Reconciliation. Because Christ was reconciling that's what he was doing. The scripture makes it clear that the end game of forgiveness was reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And in this moment right now, I'm telling you that forgiveness is not optional. You have to make a decision today that says, Lord, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to let it go, but I'm not going to throw them away and, and wish the worst for them and pray that they burn in hell and live with this bitterness because this bitterness has become a poison in my mouth and I'm tired of waking up with this heaviness on my spirit and on my heart. And God, with your grace, I believe that I can let some things go that I've been holding on to for way too long. And in this room right now, I'm here to tell you that the plan of God for you is that you would be able to reconcile some things that you 
have been dealing with in a deep way. And what's going to happen is when you come and you lay them at an altar, what's going to happen is there's about to be a freedom and a lightness in your spirit that you have been waiting on. And it's going to be like that man who stood at that grave and he said, I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. I forgive you. I see the humanity. I see that the only reason you did this to me is because someone else hurt you. And so I'm opening up my heart and my hands to the will of God.